Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, the 1st of July. Pinch and a punch for the first day of the month. Tom Tilly with you. And in today's briefing topic, uh, we'll ask whether dumb phones are the answer to smartphone addiction. I tried using a dumb phone. We all have smartphones. <laughs> so I decided to try the light phone. I would call it a fancy dumb phone. So dumb phones, smartphones, light phones. Um, Jan Friend, <laughs> you've got a, an interesting um, sort of thing going on at the moment to try and cure your addiction to your phone. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, my partner and I came up with the aeroplane mode from 7 to 7. So at 7pm in the evening, we put our phones on aeroplane mode until 7am the following morning. And we've tried to stick to it. And for, I want to say the most part, but that's being generous, for some parts of it we have. But it actually has improved our mood a little bit. I've noticed that because we've been doing it for about six weeks. And actually, a friend of mine got a dumb phone and I saw him using it. And he said it's been really good because he can check emails, but doesn't check social media. Everything's still in his hand. He can do most things. So hmm, looking forward to this one, to today's topic. Yeah, there's lots of different ways you can deal with this problem. Is it about changing your technology or is it about changing your habits or Mm. a bit of both? So that's our briefing in a moment. First, let's go to the big news of the day. Well, we're going to start in the US where comedian Bill Cosby has walked free from prison after a court overturned his conviction for drugging and sexually assaulting a woman 15 years ago. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court announced this morning that Cosby's convictions and sentence were vacated and he would be discharged. Yeah, so the 83-year-old has so far served two years of a maximum 10-year sentence. Um, This was after he was found guilty in 2018 of drugging and sexually assaulting Andrea Constand in his home in 2004. The decision comes from the state's highest court and it comes after Cosby's second appeal against the convictions, where his defence argued old allegations had prejudiced the jury. He seems to have been able to walk away on a bit of a technicality um, because what the court concluded was that he should never have been criminally prosecuted in the first place. In 2005, he cut a deal with a prosecutor in a civil case that was brought against him by this woman. He was deposed And the prosecutor said, if you give a deposition, you won't be criminally charged. Well, that changed in 2015 when he was criminally charged. And so the court has looked back on that and said he should never have been criminally charged in the first place and he's allowed to walk free. And the thing is, he cannot be recharged on those particular criminal charges either. And Australian political leaders are being accused of mangling the vaccine rollout and encouraging vaccine hesitancy over their conflicting messaging on the AstraZeneca vaccine. Oh, man, this public stouch over AstraZeneca is turning into a real mess. Mm. And we're going to try and do our best to explain how this got so messy. So it started on Monday night when the PM announced after National Cabinet that doctors would be indemnified for giving the AstraZeneca jab to all adults, even though the government's own immunisation advisory committee, ATAGI, recommended that only those over 60 get the jab. Yeah, so the PM then went on to say that now anyone, including under 40s, could go to their GP and ask for the AstraZeneca jab rather than wait months for the Pfizer jab. Unfortunately, the the Prime Minister's thrown a a little bit of a hand grenade into our vaccine program. Yeah, that was Dr Omar Korshid from the Australian Medical Association there. Now, there appears to be, well, two main problems with that announcement. Firstly, the GPs weren't looped in so that they could be ready for the flood of calls that they got the next day from young people, including the two of us. Um, We'll get to that in a second. 
but they also weren't ready to give advice that was different from the recommendation by Atagi. Yeah, and the second problem was that the state leaders, so the premiers who were part of that national cabinet, they were aware of the um, change to the indemnity around the AstraZeneca vaccine, which came up in the meeting, but they don't appear to have agreed to the PM's following statement that all adults, including Mm. under 40s, could now go to their GPs and ask for the AstraZeneca jab. Yeah, so Victorian leaders pushed back on Tuesday. Uh, Martin Foley, the health minister, said that the advice was actually not something that was agreed to by National Cabinet at all. Yeah, and then yesterday it really went to another level when uh, Queensland's Premier and Chief Health Officer hit back quite hard. Um, The Chief Health Officer from Queensland, Dr Jeanette Young, said this. No, I do not want under-40s to get AstraZeneca. I don't want an 18-year-old in Queensland dying from a clotting um, illness who, if they got COVID, probably wouldn't die. Yeah, she's uh, not mincing any words there and she's been accused of fear-mongering for that statement and has been contradicted by other medical experts for characterising the risk in that way. Yeah, and I saw some analysis um, in The Australian today saying that she's made herself the poster child of anti-vaxxers with that statement by going so hard on what are actually really small risks. Yeah, I mean, I think she's just she's following the advice from Atagi, as I imagine all the premiers and chief ministers are, um, but I think it's just it's this conflicting a feud that is playing out in the public that is undermining. I mean, I'm the opposite of vaccine hesitant. I'm vaccine enthusiastic. Mm. <laughs> and I was not as enthusiastic yesterday as I was on Monday after the announcement. You know what I mean? It's it's sowing right. confusion. So you heard the announcement and said, all right, well, I'll get the AstraZeneca yeah. vaccine because I'm looking at the numbers and the risks are, are so tiny. We've had, you know, essentially 60 cases of this TTS out of four million doses. So you're going to go ahead. So you rang and what happened? I rang. They said, yep, my local GP does administer the AstraZeneca vaccine. I said, cool, I'll chat with my husband. Um, And then over the course of the day, this started happening. And I thought, you know what, maybe I should just cool it. Really? Yeah. So you're not going to get it for now or you're just unsure? I'm still unsure at the moment. I'm I'm, I'm watching things. You're going from enthusiastic to unsure. Well, I'm going from enthusiastic to less enthusiastic. (laughs) So I responded to this as well. I thought, Okay, great. I can see how those numbers work and see how small those risks are. I'll get the AstraZeneca vaccine and leave the the Pfizer jab for people that are concerned about mm-hmm, it. You know, mm-hmm. that that's cool with me. Um, So I rang yesterday um, my local GP and said, hey, heard about the AstraZeneca thing, keen to get the jab. And they're like, oh, how old are you? I'm like, oh, I've just turned 40. They're like, oh, you can get the Pfizer coming next Thursday. Oh. And I thought, well, you know what? Part of me was like, I wanted to get the AstraZeneca jab to make the point, then I thought, well, I shouldn't do that just to make the point. That's a win-win. You have two vaccines available to you kind of now. Well done. Yeah, so I'll go and get the Pfizer jab starting next Friday and then three weeks later get the next one. Well, there are fears that a new COVID cluster could emerge in Sydney after an unvaccinated medical student who worked across multiple hospitals tested positive for the virus. We know that the student nurse worked whilst infectious on a number of days. That was New South Wales Chief Health Officer Dr Kerry Chant speaking there. More than 100 patients and staff at Fairfield uh, and the Royal North Shore Hospitals in Sydney are isolating after that student worked at the two hospitals over five days before testing positive. Yeah, it also comes after a number of universities 
have started making it compulsory for medical students to receive at least one vaccine jab before they can work at clinical sites. Yeah, and the figures from yesterday in New South Wales are 22 new local COVID cases. And the Premier said again that she's optimistic that they've avoided a massive surge, which she was worried about. So uh, this figure of 22 new cases was from 68,000 tests. So that's a pretty good um, number of tests. Um, and 22 similar to the daily figures of the last four days. They've seemed to have peaked at around about 20 per day mm-hmm. and they flatlined there. And police in France say that they have arrested the woman accused of causing that horror crash on the opening stage of the Tour de France. Now, she held up a sign on the side of the road during the race, um, which one rider then crashed into and that caused dozens of other riders to crash behind him. It was awful. Yeah, it was a complete shambles, but Mm. then she left the scene and it's taken days to actually track her down. So they've done it after an appeal on Facebook. Uh, She could face up to two years in prison and a fine of over $45,000. Yeah, it was... I mean, I I do wonder these rules around spectators. Of course, they want spectators to be there, but, you know, you're in a pretty hectic environment when the peloton is flying down those roads, right? So you've got to be safe. And she was very clearly in line of the cyclists. And to add insult to injury, she was holding this massive sign that was sort of written in half French, half German that said... Ale Opi Omi, which is go grandma and grandpa. It wasn't even a good sign. She cooked it really hard. Um, in other sporting news, Nick Kyrgios has done what he does best, which is keep tennis fans on the edge of their seats. In Wimbledon overnight, he won a dramatic five-set match that was split over two nights. Yeah, they ran into the Wimbledon curfew on the first night at three, all in the fifth set. They had to stop and um, come back last night to finish it off. He swore at the crowd, he fell over at one stage, and then, in classic Curios style, went on to win the set 9-7. 9-7, and this is against the Ooh. 21st um, seed Frenchman, Hugo Umber. So um, Curios hasn't played overseas in 18 months because he didn't want to travel during COVID. So he's back on the international scene yeah. causing a massive... St- he's also playing mixed doubles with Venus Williams. Yeah, I know. What a combo. He, he's so good to watch. Yeah. Bring um, it. The other great news was Jordan Thompson, Aussie player, pulled off an even, in some ways, bigger win. He beat the 12th seed, Casper Rudd. All right, smartphones, dumb phones, you name it. We're looking at different ways to solve our tech addiction with Katrina Blouse in just a moment. All right, Katrina Blouse, time for a bit of um, (laughs) transparency. I want you to pull out your phone and tell me your daily average screen time. See, this is something I don't share with anyone, Tom, and I'm about to share it, not just with you, but with everyone listening, because this is embarrassing. All right. Okay. Three hours and 24 minutes a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mine's three hours and 25. What? Okay. I've got a confession to make. Yeah. This is on one phone. I have two phones. Whoa. And on my other so three phone, hours and 24 minutes just on one phone. And yeah. the other phone? On the other phone is one hour and seven minutes. Oh, so wow. I'm averaging more than four and a half hours a day, which when I think of that, what else could I do with my life except for stare at my phone? We're both pretty bad, let's face it. But average daily pickups, 44. Yeah. Okay. Mine is 50 for this week. But look, what I will say in my defence is that I, for work, I watch Mm. a lot of live press conferences on my phone. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I do my banking on my phone. Mm -hmm. I feel like my whole life is on my phone. 
Well, they're so powerful and so functional. So it absolutely makes sense. Look, it turns out we're not alone in our dirty habit. A Monash Uni study found that almost half of their 3,000 respondents, 43%, spend over three hours a day on their phone. So it's pretty common. Yeah, they've even come up with a new phobia. It's called nomophobia, which is stands for no mobile phone phobia. And that same study has found that 99.2% of users have some fear of being without their phone. And I know during a regular work week, if I leave the house without my phone, I do feel a bit panicked because there's an expectation that people need to get in touch with me for my job. So they're clearly very, very, very functional, but very, very time consuming as well. And, you know, we're kind of in the really the first and second generations of this new, amazingly powerful but addictive technology. So Mm. the questions are, I guess, still being asked and answered about how we get our use of this technology under control. Especially since a uh, a recent Deloitte study found that the very first thing that 80% of Australians do in the morning is check their phone. So one strategy is to go back in time, get a phone with a 1999 level of technology like the Nokia 5110 and uh, play some Snake or some Tetris. Yeah, the 5110. My first phone was a 3210, which was the slightly newer, sexier version of the 5110. You were so ahead of your time. Jenny Gritters is an American writer who's been through the same problem and she's tried a halfway solution. There's this new phone which is kind of a stripped back version of the smartphone. It's called the light phone. So let's find out if this could be part of the solution. So Jenny, we've just given away average screen time over three hours for me and four hours for Katrina. How bad was your phone addiction? Yeah, mine's just as bad, if not worse. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe often around four or five hours a day. You know, I often use my phone for work too as a journalist. But uh, yeah, those numbers aren't good. <laughs> so, okay, what did you do about it? You tried something quite radical. Yes, I did. So I tried using a dumb phone. Um, we all have smartphones. <laughs> so I took a page out of, I don't know when the last time I used a flip phone was, maybe in middle school. Uh, so I took a page out of that and decided to try uh, the light phone, which is, I would call it a fancy dumb phone. Um, but I tried it for a couple of weeks instead of the iPhone that I usually use. So why did you go this light phone option, which is sort of like a modern day dumb phone and not go just like full old school and get like a Nokia 5110? Well, this is actually pretty similar to one of those. Um, But part of my impetus was that this phone is really popular, the light phone. Um, You know, celebrities are using it. It's very um, aesthetically appealing. It's billed as sort of a movement, right, rather than just Mm. the phone itself. The benefit is that it has a few extra features. So you can listen to music, you can listen to podcasts, um, and they just introduced a GPS feature to it too. So it's a little bit extra um, over what, you know, that, that old school Nokia would have been. So, all right, give it to us straight. What was the hardest part about using this phone? I think the hardest part, the thing I missed the most was the photos, actually. I have a one and a half year old. And so throughout the day, whoever's watching him, we communicate via photos of him. Um, And so I wasn't able to do that. And at the time I tested it, there was also no GPS, which made me realize that I really don't know how to get anywhere (laughs) without my phone, (laughs) which is sad, but true. (laughs) So what does the light phone do? What is its functionality? Yeah, it basically allows you to call and text. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. The texting... I don't know if you remember old school texting, there's no autocorrect. 
I mean, I think the goal is that you don't use it very much and it's hard to text. Uh, the calls are pretty clear, but it is pretty simple. So the photos and the GPS was something you really missed. Was it mostly a good or a bad thing? What were the upsides of using this phone? I think, you know, if you're like me when you're waiting for something or, you know, I'd be waiting to pick my kid up from daycare, I sort of just sit there and scroll. So it really removes all of those options, uh, which I think if you're really feeling addicted, is actually a helpful block. So has your average screen time come down after all of this or not? I don't think it has. Ah. <laughs> Although I will say this, you know, I typically go through cycles and I don't know if this is true for other people. With addiction, the first step is being aware of what's going on, right? So at least the light phone showed me that. <laughs> I feel like we're all in that first stage of addiction of being aware and we can't seem to move out <laughs> of that. <laughs> we, need to, we need to go yeah. through the other 11 steps of the process to really <laughs> get off it. Jenny, look, the first yep. step is talking about it. So you've done that much at least um, and you've yep. tried something. <laughs> And failed by the sounds of it. But great to speak to you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was good to speak to you both too. <laughs> so that was Jenny Gritters, a freelance writer from America. Let's dig deeper into this and find the right solution of how to blend the old and the new technology or just control ourselves better. Mm-hmm. Trevor Long is a tech writer. He has a blog called uh, EFTM.com. He's a regular on Channel 9 and also The Night Shift with Luke Boner an incredible radio show. Now, Trevor, thanks for joining us. What's great about the analysis I've heard you bring before is you blend, I guess, our lives, our real lives and technology. So we've just spoken to Jenny Gritters who went for the light phone, which is this sort of meant to be a solution for the smartphone addiction. What do you think of the light phone? I think it's a great idea for, say, the weekends, but there's just Mm. no way the average Joe, the real person, can actually separate themselves from that need for connectivity in our daily lives. Yeah, it's become so entrenched in our lifestyle now. You know, Tom and I were talking before, we do our banking on there. It's our camera. Mm. It's We listen to podcasts. I look at press conferences for work. Are we too far gone? Yeah, we're too far gone to, to go back to the old days. I mean, it's just, it's lovely to reminisce about when I was a kid and, you know, people had to ring you at home and if you weren't at home, you were just out and about having fun. Not going to happen again. I think it's wrong to project that onto today's society. But, you know, we also have to blame ourselves. People often talk about how we're tied to our work and we're always getting emails and messages through, but we're tied to our mates as well. If if your mate sends you a group WhatsApp message and you don't reply, everyone's like, where is he? What's happened? Mm. Yeah. Dude, I was just watching a TV show. So <laughs> we do have this on ourselves, but I, I do like the idea of taking a break and, and you can use technology for that through things like screen time and the like, but also... I think probably in the next few years, we'll find a solution that is the weekend switch off and stuff like that, whether it's Mm. a second device that shares your mobile number, but it means that you can put the main phone away for the weekend and the weekend phone, which doesn't require any, any work or hassle, it just works when you turn it on on a Saturday morning, gives you a little bit less connectivity. And I think people will flock to that kind of thing because we want it. We just don't quite know how to get it. So it's easy to blame the technology, obviously, but could the answer just be in our own discipline, you know, learning the resilience of being able to control ourselves of how often we pick up the phone and when we allow it to interrupt our lives? Yeah, that's 100% what we need to learn. That discipline, which is actually kind of the opposite of discipline, Mm. it's like saying to yourself, you don't need to be disciplined about replying to messages. You can reply at any time. And letting your mates know that if it's urgent, ring. 
Yes, I know, it's radical. That that, that simple stuff. That's a cultural thing, isn't it? It's changing the shared way we use the technology together. We don't make phone calls when it's urgent. We text again and say, where are you? (laughs) That doesn't work. Apple's next update to the iPhone, iOS 15, which will come out in September, has a thing called Focus built into it where you can say, I'm at work, I'm at home, I'm, I'm sleeping or whatever, and different settings for notifications. So when you're at work, no text messages from your mates come in, but at the end of the day, they're all there for you. You're in focus mode. If someone urgently needs you, they just need to write the word urgent and it will push that message through. So oh. the, the companies behind this are actually understanding the problem and I think we will get solutions over time that aren't you know, trying to change everything. They accept the way we are and they work to help us with what we need. Not our addiction, not trying to help us break the addiction, but trying to help us understand how to communicate in an addicted world. They're trying to find solutions to keep us focused and do our stuff. I think it's a smart way to ensure that they show they are doing the right thing by their customers. You've got to remember, we're using devices in a way that they would never have foreshadowed. Think about Steve Jobs and his announcement of the iPhone. Mm. There's no way they foresaw what we are doing today with our phones. No way. And so they're evolving you know, behind us, essentially, with the technology. So you've got to give them credit for doing that. As long as they're keeping an eye on what we're doing and, and trying to help us not just, you know, force more upon us, then it's at least the best they can do. Trevor, do you think maybe um, smart watches could be part of the solution? When I first saw them come out, I thought, no way, I don't want another mm. device. That's just going to be more screen time, more technology. But then I've heard of people who when they're out, they just use their smartwatch and they yep. only use their smartphone when they're back at home on Wi-Fi, almost using the phone more like a computer. Could that be a solution for some people? Well, I've always suggested that in the crystal ball future, the watch is the device that we carry. The phone becomes this kind of mini tablet that you only mm. have at home or at business because you need that bigger screen. We're at that point now where it's possible, but here's the biggest friction point is actually the headphones. You really need to be in a world where you're happy to be on headphones all the time, have them in your ear, at least one ear all the time, and not feel like a complete weirdo walking around and kind of talking. (laughs) I actually think that's the problem. I don't feel comfortable walking through a shopping center with a headphone in talking because people look at me going, who are you talking to, mate? And I think I look weird. (laughs) We need to break that cycle. And if that happens, dude, the the watch is already the solution, but we just need to get there as a society, essentially. Technology already exists. That was Trevor Long. If you want more of his tech insights, go to EFTM.com. I was really interested in that last part of the conversation, Katrina, how these Mm. new devices, even though they seem like they could be presenting more problems could actually be part of a stripped back solution somehow. Yeah, and I think too with so much talk around um, mental health and the implications that so much of our screen addiction is having on anxiety levels and depression and things like that, that companies really need to get on the front foot with this stuff. Or if we go the other way and just give up fighting against this and just accept that we're all going to have chips in us and be constantly connected (laughs) and that's just the way we'll live. Wow, okay. Well, that could be the dystopian future that we're looking for. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we take you inside Britney Spears' nightmare. Listener.